Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Guardians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, with my co-host, Justin Lada. Today's game, today's game, today's show, we're going to get into today's game. We're going to finally give Brian Shaw his promise due. We're going to discuss postseason, specifically pitching, because it's going to take enough that we wanted to split it across multiple shows. But before any further ado, I want to thank you for making Locked On Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever you should get podcasts. And how are you feeling today, Justin? I'm glad the Guardians didn't go to well more into extra innings than they already did. That was like the one thing they had to avoid was extra innings this whole week. Yeah, I'm also glad they didn't like this was after yesterday's show. They did exactly what I've been asking, which was like, listen, the wind doesn't really matter anymore. Let's be honest. Let's let's punt this one and move on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happened. Jimenez just keeps getting hit by, you know, we've already, I talked about on the show, he has the all-time single season hit by pitch record, and he's just adding to it. He also stole his 20th base. So, you know, he's he's in the 2020 club, 20 stolen bases, 20 hit by pitches. Um, I don't know how many are in that club. I did not do the research. But, uh, you know, Tristan McKenzie was great again. Uh, Kirk McCarty, listen, he is valuable for what he is, but he's going to have a game like this. It, it's it's he is a nice depth arm. That's why they brought him back. Um, and I think the other thing that stood out, you know, Will Brennan multi hit game, Oscar Gonzalez multi hit game. Someone tagged us in a tweet today about I'm going to butcher his name about uh, good old GA and his defense and fifth error. And we know the errors aren't exactly a great stat, but do you feel like he's uh, you know, rushing things. Do you think it's trying to do a little too much? He's doing a lot of positive things in the game with this call up. Uh, it, there does seem to be some nerves. This is what the third call up for him this year. And he's getting an extended look. Uh, what do you think is going on with him defensively? Cause one could argue that was his biggest calling card uh, in the minor leagues. Yeah. Definitely known for his defense. I mean, what did he play tonight? He played uh shortstop some more in position tonight. Uh the throw was just a rookie mistake. I mean, he threw it to third base and he's trying to get a runner on extra innings, trying to make a play. Uh, I would imagine they would probably tell him that that's a play you want to throw to first and get the sure out in extra innings, especially in a game that doesn't matter. So uh, one of those things where it's good to just let him get it out. I think there was another play. He didn't charge an error on, but it was a, a line driver grounded that knocked him back. Not really worried about it for him long-term. I think we all know the talent's still there. Just, you know, jitters. He's playing second. He's playing short. He's playing third. I think he even played a game first. I think he'll be fine. Just get all this stuff out the major league level. Thankfully, you know, we talked Before about playoffs. Oh, sorry. We talked about Brendan. We talked about Naylor. Isn't it kind of interesting that after everything that's happened, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on tomorrow's show with hitters that he also got kind of that late call up, but he might be the guy they put in, with the way they're using him to play every position that, you know, he, he might be in that utility role after having Freeman up for like a month and a half. It is kind of interesting. That it was almost like, gotcha and then they do this big switch but he's i mean they're playing him heavily they're playing him more than they played freeman at least it feels like in terms of consecutive days played but yeah it's uh yeah i I know we promised shaw and then this is not what i discussed with justin before the show began but for me like i look at it and it's like i can't help but look at him and like guys like lavastida and feel like sometimes or even a year ago with naylor for myself personally like coming into this year naylor wasn't a top 10 prospect for me um do we overcorrect sometimes on these guys a little too hard? Do you think there's any degree of that? Do you think he has stayed probably in this franchise's eyes? Is that like top seven prospect he was before the year began, no matter what the service and kind of, you know, we saw him fall out of top tens, fall out of that area. Do you think that's probably too much overcorrection with him? 
Naylor or Arias? Uh, Arias, but you could say Naylor, you could say Lavastida, all these guys who have like the one bad year where there's also health issues tied to the bad, the down year. I mean, the Naylor thing, I think I've talked about multiple times, at least on Twitter, just saying that um, just premature dropping him because of the age relative to level. And then you have the COVID year. And if you, if you know about Naylor, the person and the work ethic and how the organization kind of gushes about him. Yeah. I, I think all of that probably should have bought him some more goodwill for a year. Uh, results aside, Lavastida had the one good year, so I, I still wouldn't probably slide him down too far, although I think it's clear that Naylor is farther ahead of him. And as far as Arias, I don't know. I, I've kind of been the low man on him. Not that I'm not – I don't like him as a prospect, but I have questions about the bat and how that's going to play long term, but still top 10 because he is a potential you know gold glove shortstop. And if the bat ever does come around, which I think it's been actually fine, to be honest with you, in this stint, um, there's a potential all-star there. No doubt. I mean, he, I, I'll stand by it till, you know, the day of whenever that I thought he was the central piece in that, in that Clevenger trade. I thought he was piece number one for them, just in terms of the way to value up the middle talent. And, you know, I, I love, you know, what Quantrell, Quantrell, San Diego needed starters. They had him in the pen. Naylor couldn't even get a regular gig with that. You know, it's a lot of those guys who have stepped forward were guys who just, we're kind of further down. It's it's going to be, you know, I never want to say anything's going to be that Cologne deal, but that trade definitely has some hints of the Cologne deal. Now, I only say that because they got a Cy Young winner and a guy who was on a Hall of Fame stretch before freak injuries. But just in terms of, I mean, six players, five of them have uh, contributed to the Major League team. That's, that's a hell, heck of a deal. Yeah, Padres could have Josh Taylor right now if they didn't sign Eric Hosmer. <laughs> That they had to let go for a prospect. Oof. I mean, that was a, like, we all knew that was a bad deal from the drop. Like outside of like old school sports journalists who just kind of look at like, you know, he's a grinder and he's got a championship pedigree. It's like, we all looked at that deal. Like, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> I don't know anyone all based on age. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just, it didn't make a ton of sense at the time. And it certainly doesn't make any more sense now. But uh, speaking of making sense of things, let's let's give Brian Shaw some, you know, his due. Uh, he was let go, and we were kind of <laughs> partying about it to a degree. You get into it with Shaw. It's like, yes, the second time around wasn't great. That's he was, you know, if you're a team, you actually want to get him for like the first two months of the year. He's fantastic, and then it just seems to fall off. But it, when he was at his peak. One can make, I would say, a case that if you're putting together the, like the top 10 bullpen pitchers in Guardians history, the top 10 relievers, uh, first off, it's not an elite group because if you, I know a few years ago, I went through and did the all the draft and signed or developed relievers and fourth all time was David Risky. And David Risky is fine, but not the guy you want fourth all time in terms of B-War. You know, we can talk about you know, Class A is in that group now, obviously. Uh, Cody Allen is in that group. But it, do you stand with me? I mean, Shaw's, what, third all-time in appearances. Uh, he is, in terms of games finished, not games closed, but just games finished, he, I believe, is 25th all-time. And, yeah, I mean, he he was not asked to finish games. It is funny that, like, 24th in games finished is Mel Harder, who I believe is number two in games pitched. Like, those two names go together on the – the leaderboard um, 
for Cleveland and a few no Mel Harder is one I'm sorry and Shaw is three but yeah it's listen when he was here the first time he was hated on unnecessarily when he was the rubber arm guy this time it wasn't as well but I guess how do you feel like do you look back at him am I being hyperbolic is he you know one of the top 10 relievers this team has had I mean relief pitching is relatively recent in the whole grand scheme but I I'm willing to say that I'm willing to say a top 10 reliever all time for the Cleveland Guardians yeah, I mean, when your options are like, you have, I mean, Jose Mesa and, and Mark Jackson, those guys are all pretty good. Um, or Mike Jackson, I should say, I say Mark Jackson, Andrew Miller, Cody Allen. Yeah, you can throw Eric Plunk. Uh, Eric Plunk was a good one. Uh, Bob Wickman is in there for a lot of things. Like these are the names. Uh, Doug Jones, listen, Peak Doug Jones was probably underappreciated uh, for as as bad as those teams were. He was actually quite good, but. You, know. you can, you could probably throw Class A in there already. Yeah, agreed. Um, he's he's around the top ten. I mean, you've got like mm-hmm. Rafi, Rafi left and Rafi right were good for a little bit. Um, they they had guys throughout the years, um, but when you're putting up against guys like you know Carrie Wood and Chris Perez, yeah, I think he has room room to make it in there. And look, this guy had over 400 innings of work. I'm not saying all almost 500, 490 innings. I'm not saying all. 490 were good, but he finishes with a 3-4 ERA if that's you know the last of his stint in Cleveland as a pitcher. That's pretty good uh, for throwing 400 innings, and nobody has thrown more innings in baseball than him since 2013 among relievers. Uh, a third of an inning more, I guess, Kenley Jansen will pass him this year. But, um, yeah, the guy's durable. I, mean, I think he's ever, in, in his peak, he's everything you wanted in a seventh-inning man. You don't want – you want him being your your – best setup guy do i'm being your closer no that's why they went and had cody allen that's why they went and got andrew miller but uh you need three good relievers and look what the royals did and their stretch in the mid 2000s they had great they had three or four good relievers brian shaw was if brian shaw in, at his peak was like your third best reliever i think you're in pretty good shape and just to throw some more onto this like brian shaw uh you know in the postseason now it's 22 innings but he had a two four five era nine strikeouts per nine, 2.5 walk. He was actually a, you know, the same guy in the postseason as he was in the regular season, maybe just a little bit better. So not only was he this guy who, again, third all time in appearances, but was also a, a solid postseason arm. I mean, look at that 2016 postseason. He appeared in three games in Boston, four games uh, in Toronto and four games in Chicago. Listen, I know the Chicago games weren't always the best, but uh, you know, he was just incredibly solid in general for this Cleveland team. Uh, now, in fairness, I sh- should say one of the four of the games he appeared in for four innings were with Arizona back in 2011. So it was actually only 18 in Cleveland, but he was a solid postseason pitcher is just to get to the point. And as you said, like, you know, he was the, he was the glue guy, right? He's just, he's there to get you to the next. Um, and in that postseason, he was the guy when those starters were only going five innings that he was out there first guy that Tito went to. So, yeah, like I said, we're very happy about a change, I think, in general. But, like, I think it's also we want to take a moment and recognize that this, you know, he's not going to get his number retired. But when we discuss, when I go back and, you know, now that you're the co-host, we should probably sit down and redo the, like, all-time Guardians team uh, so we can have some real debates instead of just me debating myself. But, like, he's he's a name that will come up. And I think that speaks to the player that, you know, at peak that he was. And there were some great moments um, through the past few years. Part of me is kind of sad, having read like a Meisel piece about if Tito had promised eventually he'd let him bat. It would have been great to see him just 
bat again personally i would have loved to see once they like just smack the white Sox down like after all that talk of crumbling it would have been great to be like and pinch hitting as brian shaw like just like really you know pour in the salt but do you have any other kind of final th- closing thoughts on uh, brian shaw before we kick it to our first break yeah, I just think people need to realize that, uh, you know, Trevor Steffen probably doesn't have a splitter without that, without without Brian Shaw and guys learning about arm care, stuff you don't see on the field. And if anybody can stomach it, I know it's hard. If you go back and look at the pitch that he threw to Ben Zobris in the 2016 World Series that uh, gave the game, the eventual game winning run and hit, it was like a 97 mile hour cutter on the outside part of the plate. Like it was a good pitch. Ben Zobris just beat him. I know that's, that's hard to swallow, but um, I guess I'll at least get Brian Shaw's due for that. It was a good pitch. No, the, and he was, you know, steady for the rest of it. Uh, speaking of things that are steady, solid, and good, how about one of our Mount Rushmore sponsors? How about one of the people who have been with us the longest? That is Bet Online, your number one source for football betting info this season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchup, news podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. As also as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting up to the minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the games in action. Get Bet Online where the game starts. And if you're curious, tomorrow's line. Uh, Quantrell versus Lynch, uh, plus one and a half, but a plus one fifteen money line on the negative one and a half with Quantrell. I think I, I would, I would take that. Uh, Lynch has been very inconsistent. The seven and a half, I think I like the under there, just because we're probably going to see a bunch of rookies on Cleveland side. It's going to be it's time to rest for the Cleveland Guardians. No time for us to rest. Let's talk postseason. Let's talk roster. Let's talk pitching. Game one for the postseason. I know, you know, there's so many choices to go with, but it's got to be Plesak, right? You know, you want to go with your big gun in game one. Can I go back? You got to bring Brian Shaw back as the opener, actually. That's what's got to happen. They got to find a way to get him back on the roster to be an opener. I actually against Tampa Bay. It is against Tampa. I thought when they used Shaw as an opener, it was actually kind of genius. Like to go back to that, like uh, a highlight for me of Tito this year was then to immediately after like one inning go to Kirk McCarty and their whole lineup is right-handed heavy because Shaw, like there's there's a smartness to an opener. Uh, if you have that ability to flip it like that, to flip the script, I mean, I think in the postseason it would be a genius move. But, you know, probably still <laughs> want to go with the, the the big three of this team right now. And I guess my question to you is like, is there this? We know Quantrell is three, but is there any debate for you between McKenzie or Bieber in game one? I guess if you want to look at like pure season alone, you could make the argument for Tristan McKenzie. I don't think it matters either way. Um, I, I guess it would depend really on how things match up for the ALDS because remember this year, the schedule is a little bit weird where yeah. they have like different off days than they used to. So my only twist there would be, okay, how does how does the schedule match up? When when could Beaver and McKenzie be available to pitch in the next round? Like, do you want Beaver pitching two games? Do you want McKenzie pitching two games? Can they pitch two games? Like, if, if you can get one of those two guys to pitch two games, uh, I'm taking Beaver, I suppose, in the in the ALDS. I mean, you got to get to the first round first. But I think it just matters how can you stack them for the next round. Like, if it's just one round, I'm still taking Beaver over McKenzie. But if you're thinking long-term, I think you can make a case 
do you have any concern at all about like the last time he was out there in the postseason for no, Bieber? I, I, I mean, we I, know these things are all, you know, short sample sizes, weird. And, and I, I almost want to throw everything of 2020 out. Yeah, like, agreed. I don't want to, I don't want to commit any of that to memory, let alone the playoffs that year. So no, I, I think he would flush that. I think we should all flush that. No, I agree. I like that 2020 season is just oddity among oddity. Uh, everything is hard to understand, accept, or really consider when you look at that year. But yeah, I, I mean, I lean towards that. I've thrown out there when I've talked to Sully about, you know, using game theory and the, uh, the Chinese horse racing theory about like not throwing your best horse in game one. So then you have better matchups in game two and three. Obviously, in round one, that's not even something you'd consider is that game theory approach to like uh, things. I'll be curious to see. Someday, some team is going to do it. Uh, I get, I, like there are too many teams that use advanced thought that eventually they're going to see that team that's throwing their Quantrell in game one and then throwing their eight, their two guys in the next two. I don't think we're going to see it this year. I agree. Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrell. As this thing opens up, who's the four to you? I think that's where, you know, I don't know if I want to say it gets interesting. It feels like they don't have a ton of choices. So I think it's maybe not that interesting, but it is, it's so settled. And then, so it feels kind of unsettled to me in spot four. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it has to be Savali. I don't think you can go any other way with that. Police X had a strange season. And I know they said you can't expect him to be in mid season form after his last start, when he came back from the broken hand or whatever he had going on there after he punched the, uh, the mound, but I don't see how you can trust anybody but Savali. The only weird thing is going to be uh, police act starts on Wednesday now. So mm-hmm. if Savali doesn't pitch Wednesday in like a piggyback role, he will have, I think, 11 days off between starts. So that's going to be a weird thing. Yeah. And he's, you know, it's been a weird year for him as well. I mean, it's just my continued concern the same before the year. And we've seen it this year. It's like health has been a bugaboo for him in the majors and the minors. Like, I don't think he has had a healthy season at any step of the way. Uh, you do have to be, it is interesting because he was also, boy, did he struggle those first few months. And then he seemed to, you know, you wonder if the health issues even started earlier in the year. Cause it does certainly seem like he got better after the big injuries that he has been kind of better with the few starts that he's had since you know the june july data i feel like has been you know every month has been a little bit better well here's two questions for you as it relates to pitching going back to the beaver mckenzie thing if it was a still a one game format for the wild card are you are you even having a debate of mckenzie or beaver um because to your point remember cleveland tried to do this in the alds um years ago with kluber going game two against the red sox in 16 and then although i think that was more due to his hamstring and then they did it in 2017, and I don't know if that had to do with Kluber's back. And then to the police sacks of Ali debate, who do you trust more as a reliever? Do you trust one of them more to come into a game in the first round uh, as a bullpen arm versus, you know, more than the other one? You know, it's, it is interesting just from the perspective, like the perspective of like the last time this happened, right? Like they trusted police act over Savale back in that 2020 season. That's uh, right you know, that they went there. Now, Plesak had that great year, but I'll stand that it is very funny that you look at that 2020 season, Kenta Maeda, Zach Plesak, even Shane Bieber to a degree, they only had to face the central. And I think we saw the stratification of numbers when they didn't have to face some of those tougher teams. They got to face a lot of cupcakes and we saw a lot of players on a lot of teams excel facing that. Now that year, they obviously felt more comfortable 
But again, Plesak was the better player that year. So was that about like how they feel guys can translate or is that just a top performance? Um, I would be honestly, I don't think either of them is someone I'm going to go to in the pen. Like unless it's a blowout situation, the with the way this pen is set up and with the pen being really good, like, listen, I loved that 2016 2016 team as much as anyone Andrew Miller and Cody Allen were absolutely fantastic Shaw was relatively solid but you didn't have anyone beyond that like this year you're talking about 99 Stefan even with Stefan's question marks in class a and class a is well on his way to being the greatest reliever in franchise history and then you throw in like Sam Henches who I believe still has the second or has the best ERA of any reliever in the second half uh Sandlin who you know, control can occasionally get away from, but for the most part has been like the depth there. Like, I guess my question is, is if you go Savali, does Plesak even come out unless it's a blowout or extra innings? Yeah, I, I can't imagine they're going to use either of those guys in a situation. They're certainly not going to do it with runners on because you're not going to bring a starter in to a situation with runners on if you don't have to. But if they go to extra innings, I guess you have to no matter what, because um to run around second role so i don't know that's a good question i'm really curious to actually if safali pitches wednesday now because i thought he was starting the final game of the season now it's police sack but i just i just don't want to see savali go 11 days without pitching if the, if he ends up pitching if they're fortunate enough to get to the alds how weird is it that we're talking about the season ending on a wednesday i spent the last half a decade writing like my way too early mock and I just sit there on Sunday and write it out as it's happening, get it done. And I, I'm not even close to ready. Cause I'm just like, no, I, I have a weekend to work on it. It's like, no, no, uh, we're going to finish the season on a Wednesday Postseason starts on Friday. Go like it. There's been a lot of changes this year, but like this to me is one of the most jarring, like what's your kind of, is it feel as weird to you as it feels to me? I think it feels weird from the fact they're playing the same team six days in a row to end the season. That's about the only thing. Yeah, and then the team they face before that is the team they're going to face in the postseason. It's, yeah. it's definitely a an odd end. But I think, I think we're in agreement. Uh, Bieber, Plesac. We didn't really talk about Quantrell, but it's like he is the most set guy, just because he's not the top two, and he's definitely not in that second group. And then Savale, and then, I mean, but then again, what? So we we also should probably talk about Savale. Probably won't be uh, on the postseason roster for the Tampa series, right? Like he'll probably not be a part of it. And with Plesak starting, uh, he may not be a part of the postseason. Like neither of those starters might potentially, that's going to be something like if Savali doesn't pitch, then he's probably on the postseason roster in that opening series as a reliever. And if they, which would then set up Plesak, I guess, to be your fourth, that might be what telegraphs all of this, but it's going to be interesting because one of those two pitchers is not going to be on the postseason roster, right? Or am I overreading things? Uh, I guess it depends what they want to do with, with Kirk McCarty. Cause I mean, obviously class a 99, Stefan Sandlin, Henches, Morgan, De Los Santos are all making it. So you have all those guys. Uh, I would assume Cody Morris is making it. And then you decide between, you know, McCarty. I'm, I don't see McCarty as a guy making the postseason roster. He just kind of hangs out as a emergency dude at this point. I think I read somewhere they're talking about what was it 12 pitchers and 14 position players for the first round. That was kind of the the balance. So uh, Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, and then one starter, and then your bullpen minus McCarty. Um, 
So the only guys they're dropping from the current 28 would be um, McCarty and then whoever's not starting that, whoever's not going to start the third game. So, uh, or who wouldn't be the extra guy. So if Savali, if they really want Savali to go game one of the ALDS, you drop McCarty and Savali and Plesak goes to the bullpen. Uh, just depends on who they trust there and who they want to pitch game one of the LDS. Cause you do have to plan for that because it's two days later or it's a day later. Yeah. Well, why don't we take our next break here? It seems like a natural point. We'll come back, kind of dig a little bit more into this, uh, you know, figuring out the pen, figuring out who maybe gets, you know, left off, who's sitting at home, kind of the logic of it all. And then maybe trying to parse what we think Tampa is going to do in terms of the other side, like what is, how is Tampa going to try to line this up uh, in terms of what would benefit them in the postseason? Uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Cleveland North versus Cleveland South is what it very much looks like in the opening round of this playoff series. Like I said, a first, a quick break from our sponsors. And we're back. Uh, so can I throw a name out there? Like someone we have not talked about really because he's not currently on the roster, but could be. Is there any world where they decide like instead of Kirk McCarty being that extra guy, the Connor Pilkington based on like the last start, maybe because of the stuff, like he's got better stuff. We know than McCarty. Could he be, I, they don't really have, you know, a trusted lefty outside of Stefan, right? Is there anyone else you believe? No, I mean, it's, could it be Pilkington? Could he be kind of a surprise just as like almost like a loogie type for them in a role that could be used in the postseason? Or is this just me grasping for straws, looking at like the five pitchers that are on roster who could uh, potentially contribute? I mean, if you want to talk about just like pure talent and who you are going to get the best outing from, I'd probably guess Pilkington. But I think the point here is if you are pitching McCarty or Pilkington in a playoff game, uh, things have either gone really badly or hopefully they've gone so good that you are up by so much. You trust one of those guys to, to milk some innings uh, away. I, I would probably lean McCarty if anything is going to happen because he's pitched the most recently. I, I'm sure Pilkington has stuck around the city. I know some guys stayed in Columbus to work out just in case they were activated. Um, but you know, McCarty has been the guy throwing recently for them and, Hey, they went ahead and DFA'd Brian Shaw instead of Kirk McCarty when we all thought it would have been Kirk McCarty. So that tells me they at least value what he brings to the table. I would like to see them have a second lefty because I, I I don't know what Tampa Bay's lineup looks like, you know, lefty righty splits. But um, you know, you got guys like G Man Choi who are like really extreme. Like he's the guy you definitely want. Uh, Arandia has been a bit that way as well for them. And then what David Peralta who. You know, it, it. I really feel like it's not as extreme, but I think those are currently the only lefties that, you know, are on their roster. And then it's the lefties are kind of the guys who are hurt. It's the Brandon Lowe, the Kevin Keir Myers, um, and some of their more uh, injured guys. But Jima and Choi in particular, uh, I feel like is a strict, strict platoon blat, bat. I don't know what a blat is, but <laughs> bat. And then, you know, I, I don't know. I'd have to look at like, Taylor Walls has had a rough year in general with a bat. It's gotten a little bit better, but I have to look at him and Wander Franco and uh, Francisco Mia and uh, Vidal Brujan, who are the switch hitters who could potentially make the roster to see if any of them have extreme splits. But th those are kind of the guys on the other side of things when you're looking at that. They're definitely a, the, the, the negative, the hit on one of those guys making it is they do, they're more of a righty team. You know, it, 
Yandi and as a Randy, a, a Resurain. I'm not going to say it's a Randy A. Uh, you know, Harold Ramirez, we know is almost like a strict platoon bat, is a right hander. Margot is, a, you know, he's a right hand bat. You almost don't want a lefty to go in this one. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's part of the logic that they won't take a second lefty, that you said got the uh, starters in this one um, if you need them. Yeah, I don't think there's any to it. Sam Hedges doesn't have any real platoon splits either from when it last no. time I looked. So I think you're pretty much set for this round. Maybe you think about it again against the Yankees, but the Yankees are also pretty right-handed heavy, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like, and with um, the Yankees, I mean, I saw the great stat today. Um, I wish I knew where I could credit, but it's like second half OPS for Aaron Judge, second half OPS for everyone who isn't Aaron Judge is a 656. Like that, that team has completely uh imploded and obviously i don't think a platoon split really matters too much for aaron judge this year uh but the rest of that team is just offensively like they don't they're one could make a case if you eliminate the best player on the guardians and the best player on the yankees that the yank the guardians have the better lineup right now one could make that case very easily just to throw out there and uh you know rizzo really fell off a lot of guys really kind of second half imploded and uh you know you get rid of Aaron Judge get rid of Andres Jimenez the best player on each team I'm, I'm intentionally doing that just to get people annoyed hey listen I'm not alone Jason Stark fifth in the MVP voting Jimenez sixth Jose Ramirez so uh yeah I think let, let's put it this way I'm I am not afraid of any team in this postseason um we saw Cleveland play well against Houston uh Houston I think is definitely the cream of the crop but I would uh, put Cleveland up against anyone. My question to you, listen, we already kind of talked about the bullpen. We know what the bullpen is likely going to be. Do we think there's any weirdness that could happen like 2016? Do you think that all of a sudden we might see class a and a multi-inning role? Um, do you think we'll get into that? Or is it just because this bullpen is so deep and so good that we won't see that. Do you think there's a also be that tendency to have starters only go, you know, once they're going to go through the lineup a third time, Nope. Immediately go to the bullpen and start going through and using those pitchers. I don't know. I think I would imagine they're going to ride Bieber and McKenzie as long as they can until they feel like uh, there's some signs there. Hopefully not to the detriment. I hope they're, you know, they've got somebody warming up just in case, but I know they're careful about that. Quantrill, I feel like is probably a guy that they're going to watch carefully uh, times through the order in the postseason. As for Class A multi-inning, that, that's not something he's done all year. I feel like Francona is not the manager to do something different in the postseason he's done all year. Now, I know, like you might say, 2016, the bullpen was employed differently, but that was more out of desperation and necessity than it was a plan. Like, they planned on having Kluber and Carrasco and, and or Bauer or Salazar going six innings if they could. Instead, it was Kluber for as long as he could go and everybody else one time through the order. And then unleashed Miller to this year. I think they want to get as much as Beaver, Beaver McKenzie as they can and play the matchups from there would be my guess. The only weird thing I think is going to be the lineup. I was thinking about this today is that Will Brennan doesn't have any like crazy platoon splits in the minors. Uh, he didn't fare as well against lefties and triple A as he did in double A, but those are all extremely small samples. But if you look at, I know you've talked about this multiple times. Owen Miller against lefties is not, it's no. not a platoon advantage. He's not good. But I just have a feeling in the postseason, uh, it's going to be Shane Bieber, Shane McClanahan, game one, and, and Will Brennan's going to be on the bench. I just have that kind of sinking feeling right now that Owen Miller 
is starting game one because they're facing a lefty. That's the weirdness, the, the bad weird. Yeah, no. I, and like, okay, like they, what I'm struggling to get to is like, it's not like you and I are talking about trade secrets. It's not like you and I are talking about anything that is not like kind of surface knowledge to anyone who does it. Like there's things the Guardians have statistically that you and I probably don't even know about. <laughs> We'd struggle to understand. We're talking about some very basic things. And we'll see, we could see a situation where they bench who has been arguably their hottest hitter for Owen Miller, who, by the way, is well on his way to being their second worst hitter this year. Like if Miles Straw hasn't passed him or runs created plus yet, it's going to happen any day now. Owen Miller, outside of the fact that Austin Hedges is about ready to put up one of the worst seasons in the history of modern baseball. Owen Miller is next up like. I'm going to I'm going to make my hot take of the day here. Like, honestly, Owen Miller with all the talent they have in the pipeline, I wouldn't be upset if he was designated for assignment to make room for someone like Martinez this offseason, because listen, you have Freeman, you have Arias, you have this next wave that is already here and probably better equipped to the role. So I, people loved Owen Miller at the start of the year. And I know there's still many fans and he's an interesting, fun little player, but like they just have more talent. And this year, I mean, you get rid of, the first month and a half, and he has been a multi-multi-level below-average player in his time. Forget forget earlier this year. Do you remember last April when he was the hottest hitter in AAA, and everyone's like, got to get Owen Miller up here. Got to get him yeah, up here. Yeah, he was like on, almost 400 up. or something. And I'm like, listen, it's a profile I hate. Like, let's be honest. It's why I'm lower on Tyler Freeman than most. It's why I'm not as high on – so it's when you don't walk, and it's, it's to a degree, it's why I wasn't high on Bobby Bradley – when you don't have a secondary skill, it's hard. You need to do two things really well. And when it's one skill, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. I mean, only thing I look at is he hit everywhere in the minors and the numbers are fine. And he only played in the minors for, for three and a quarter seasons. So like I'm willing to give some leeway here that he's still going to be a better hitter than he's shown. Obviously I don't think he's anywhere as good as he was in April, but um, yeah, yeah I, just, I, I don't know if they have room on this roster and we have, we have all offseason talk about this, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but no, that's, that's kind of my hot take. It's just like, and, you know, listen, if he ends, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being average, if he ends up being an average hitter, it's just the overall talent in the organization. I think he's below. And then what they've done a very nice thing about, I think this front office, especially towards the end of the year is they've taken away Tito's negative safety blankets. Like they've taken away Clement. They've taken away Shaw. Owen Miller is the last of those guys who's a negative safety blanket and a guy whose performance does not justify um, the usage rate. And he's kind of the last man standing from that group. <laughs> I know they work in lockstep with Tito, so you wouldn't see him not make the postseason roster. But I wonder if there's any discussion of like, listen, we just if we include him, you're going to have exactly what you talked about, a situation where Brennan rides the bench so Miller can play against a lefty. Uh, and he doesn't hit lefties. Now, I agree with you. McClanahan is probably game one. How do we think the rest of this is shaping up? If I was looking correctly, Springs pitches tomorrow for Tampa, which is to the benefit of Cleveland. He is just, he's a bad matchup for Cleveland to begin with. So are we probably looking at Kluber in game two? Unless they go to glass now in game two. And I don't know what his pitch count is, but if they could go to him game two and kind of ride a bullpen game after that. <laughs> But yeah, I would imagine one of those two is, is game two, Glass now or Kluber. Yeah, I think they kind of 
blew it to a degree. Like maybe I'm wrong in this, but like not holding springs or not reworking things down the stretch. He's had a great year. Uh, he would be a really bad matchup for Cleveland. Just and when we saw that when he recently pitched against him, he's the type of lefty they struggle with. Uh, that feels like a, a general mistake for Tampa down the stretch is that they they're having him go and they would be better. Like if, if I was running Tampa, it's like your top three pitchers in the postseason, in my opinion, when you're facing Cleveland, McClanahan Springs and Rasmussen and Cleveland's dodging two of those guys. I think that's, you know, am I making too big of a deal or is that, do you agree that like Springs and Rasmussen likely not being starters is a bit of a misplay by Tampa here. Yeah. I have to dig more into Drew Rasmussen. I know, it was a benefit they missed them last time, but yeah, Springs for sure is a bad matchup for them just because of the platoon advantage. And I don't even know how good if Owen Miller is like any bit better than Josh Naylor because Josh Naylor struggles against lefties too, but it can't be that much of a difference, but either way, that would be an advantage Tampa Bay for sure. Especially when you consider they've got three lefties in their bullpen. They're probably all making the postseason roster too. I mean, Rasmussen's got a 326 FIP. He's been worth 2.9 wins in 28 starts, 146 innings. It's just weird that he's not uh, not their matchup. Uh, I think, like I said, I think Tampa kind of messed this up. That is my my opinion. Tampa is one of the smartest organizations of baseball, though, so I am probably wrong. Uh, you know, we are, I can see the timer ticking away, so we should probably be at the wrap-up. Make sure to hit up Justin and myself. Let us know what you think. Tomorrow, we're going to get into the hitters. This will be interesting because we will do a who we think is going to be there and who maybe we think should be there when it comes to the Guardians in the postseason. Uh, we will also discuss the Tuesday game as well. But I have been Jeff Ellis. Uh, I will say, you know, my co-host is Justin Lada. And as I end every show, go, go, Guardians, go. And I, hey, everyone, you get to see me fumble. And I'll do it again. Go, go, Guardians, go.